grad school. I'm Kate. I'm Dustin. And we are here today with three people to talk a little bit about post-bac experience and uh, about the, you know, experience gaining process as you start from undergrad. And then if you choose to, which I think we all would recommend, um, taking some time to do some post-bac experience um, about what that looks like and how to find a good position for you and uh, some problems that can arise, some things and the experience, pros, cons. Uh, we're here to talk all about that. And I have with me today, Talia Farrell-Rosen, uh, Lauren Silva, and Taylor McGuire. So Taylor, welcome back first of all to the podcast. Thank you for joining. Lauren and Talia, thank you for joining us for the first time. <laughs> and I just wanted to start by just getting a little, uh, having each of you share a little bit about your backgrounds. Um, so where you got started in the research process, uh, your first like entry into research, was it a summer experience? Did you always know you wanted to do it um, up to what you're doing now? So um, do we want to start with Taylor? Would you be okay with jumping in first? Sure. Um, so I started um, with research. I think it was my sophomore year of um, undergraduate. I um, was nominated and entered the Ronald McNair program. So the program basically tries to funnel underrepresented, underrepresented minorities into like um, doctoral programs in general. So I kind of had to find a research um, program to join. Um, I found an interest in Dr. Mendel's lab at Cornell. Um, she was a professor for a class I was taking. And so I reached out to her and asked her if she had like any opportunities in the lab and she did. So I stayed there for four years working on like um, a research project studying adolescent girls and puberty. Um, and then from there, I took a post-bac job at the University of Michigan studying suicide and depression in adolescents and college students. Now I study um, social connectedness and suicide at Harvard. Great. Uh, Lauren, do you want to talk a little bit about your background and experience? Sure. So I did my undergrad at Northeastern University in Boston. And after my first year, I was staying on campus a bit for to take some summer classes. I was also continuing to work in a preschool at the time. Um, but I had some extra time and I saw there was an email sent to our psychology undergraduate listserv for joining a research lab. Um, and, you know, I had the privilege of time. So I decided to, you know, explore that opportunity. I didn't have a concept for what research was beyond, you know, they do research on like drugs, like in clinical trials and stuff. I didn't really know what human subjects research, um, in particular in psychology really meant. Um, but I pursued that opportunity anyway, um, begun working in a, um, very closely with a graduate student in that lab. Um, the lab itself um, explores emotion across the lifespan particularly with older adults. And I had a really good time. I, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, and so um, at Northeastern, we undergraduates have what we call a co-op program. So you take six months out of your time. Um, so instead of, it, for six months at a time, instead of being in classes, you have a full-time work experience. And so for my first co-op, I ended up working at Boston University at the Center for Anxiety and Related Disorders um, in their child program. And it was a really exciting experience. Again, did not have a concept for what like treatment looked like for anxiety. So I got to learn that, um, work on a clinical trial. It was really awesome. Um, for my second co-op experience, I worked 
at a dissemination implementation lab at Massachusetts General Hospital. And that's where I met Talia. Um, really great experience, like learning just um, the breadth of sort of, I guess, clinical research and like sort of gained this prevention science lens that I like hold with hold close with me now. Um, but now I, I work in another lab. I started working at Northeastern um, when I was an undergraduate. Um, and the project I work on now is a, um, so I graduated in May and, and started working here in June. The project I work on now is a um, neuroimaging psychophysiological project, working with older adults, trying to understand um, mechanisms uh, associated with emotion regulation and risk for cognitive impairment in older adulthood. Um, pretty neat. So that's what I'm up to now. That's so cool. I've always been really impressed or just, I think it's so cool that Northeastern, their co-op program gives people such good opportunities before they graduate. Uh, I learned about it when I was in Boston um, after college and I was like, wow, why didn't Cornell do that? Uh, it's just a really nice program. Uh, Talia, do you wanna talk a little bit? Yeah, so I studied at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign Yay, Central Illinois. Um, I started actually undecided. I had no idea what I wanted to major in, but I knew I wanted to work with kids in some ways. So then I transitioned into early childhood education, learned that that wasn't really for me. And I went into developmental psychology, um, basically University of Illinois psych program. You can pick different psychology concentrations and I think they have around 10 options, which is really cool. And at first, I thought I was going to do developmental, so I was on that track. I took the developmental lab. I really enjoyed it, but I also wanted to get into research. And so I think my second semester, sophomore year, I started applying for research opportunities, but I didn't get into any of them, which was a little disappointing. Um, so then I tried again. Actually, sorry, it was my first semester I applied. and. I didn't get in anywhere. Then my second semester is when I applied to the lab I'm actually still working at um, and another lab that was in social and personality research. And so the summer between my sophomore and junior year, I was in two different labs, the lab I'm in right now, which was clinical and the social and personality lab. Um, I really enjoyed both experiences. They were quite different though, the social and personality lab I worked with a lot of census data, and I also got to run participants kind of right away through the subject pool, which is basically when the university has current undergrad students do studies in the psych department for class or for extra credit or something. That was a cool experience. And then in the clinical lab, um, I found that I really enjoyed like the environment and everyone in the lab was really welcoming and supportive. And I also like the research, which is focused around um, depression and anxiety and the development over childhood and adolescence. And I guess I can say the lab, um, it's the Yeti lab um, and Dr. Ben Hankin is the PI. <laughs> and now I'm project manager. I forgot to mention that. Um, yeah. Yeah, especially fun because we have like a a lineage if we were a sorority or fraternity of project managers right now. Um, uh, Talia took over for me and I took over for someone who took over for Dustin. <laughs> um, who took over for someone even after me. There oh. were two people. There's two people in between. 
sorry. You and I. <laughs> Dustin just wow. was the bridge to everything, though. Uh, I'm still here. Got a 23 in me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I, I've always found it fun to see, like, um, who people had as mentors on the, like, PhD level. But now I feel like with postbacs becoming, like, super necessary, there's, like, a new level of both networking, which I think is really cool because I'm, uh, you know, I'm not super close to my cohort largely because of like COVID things, but I do feel very close to the people I've worked with in my post-bac positions and obviously Taylor, um, which is really lucky. Uh, Dustin, I feel like you and I should both kind of go over our past experience to, in case this is someone's first time listening to the podcast. In that case, welcome. Uh, Dustin, do you want to talk a little bit about your background? Yes, I can do that. Similarly, to Talia, I came in not, I mean, I don't know who really knows what research looks like coming into undergrad. Um, I don't, I still don't know what research looks like as a sixth year student. Oh, no, no I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't tell anybody. Uh, the, I, I came in, I double majored in psychology philosophy, thinking like, I'm going to just hit it hard with that philosophy and, and get out and have a real good job. Uh, that doesn't happen. But, <laughs> Sorry, with the like meeting each other, you don't get the laughter. So, <laughs> yeah, I got to my my senior year, and I had not been involved in research at all um, because nobody talks to undergrads where I was, um, and I like I was at a smaller school. Like all of our psych department was in a two story building, so it was like it's super small. Um, yeah, nobody nobody really talks to to undergrads about what the research experience looks like, and it is it's really cool to hear what Northeastern did with that that co op. That is so cool. Um, but there's yeah, there's not a whole lot. So I was like, yeah, applying to graduate school is the same exact as undergrad, and it is not at all. Uh, so somebody ended up telling me, and I was like, well, shit, I don't have research experience. I guess I can't do that. But I ended up getting involved in research after I graduated. And then I have stayed in the same lab since then. Um, I just can't, I can't get out. And now I'm on my way out. But yeah, it's one of those things that like research isn't what the process looks like isn't talked about. And I think that's one of the goals of at least this episode, but our podcast more broadly Go ahead, Kate. What what's your experience? Save save me. Well, first I wanted myself. to say it's like the Hotel California. You can check out anytime you like, <laughs> but you can never leave the Yeti Lab. Um, but yeah, no, I I I don't know. I was my entry into research was a little conniving, and that uh, that's not the right word. I um, I didn't want to do research. I wanted to be a what i know i was like i don't give a fuck about research um, i call your advisor right now no no hold on uh <laughs> my current advisor who also is my undergrad advisor um but i really wanted to be a clinician i think i've said this on this podcast before uh super embarrassing now but i like didn't want to learn stats and i was like can i just be like the idea person uh and i liked ideas and i liked you know, some parts of research, but I just had no real interest in it. But I knew in order to get into a clinical psychology program, you needed research experience. And so much like a pre-med, I was like, huh, like, so I just need to be an A-lab. Um, 
but then I saw this advertisement for summer research uh, at the end of my sophomore year. And the big thing with the, it was like, oh, like work at a summer camp, collect data on teenagers. And I, the reason I wanted to go into clinical work was um, I had had this experience working with like a depressed adolescent and an adolescent with a pretty severe eating disorder. And I, I wanted to learn how to help them. And that's, you know, my clinical back, like desire. <laughs> um, and so working at a summer camp, collecting data on adolescents was like, well, I can do that. Like, that sounds fantastic. And um, Taylor and I were at different camps, but we were doing the same thing that summer. Um, and then from there, I was like, well, I really like this lab. Um, I don't love like typing in like responses every single day of these like adolescents. Um, they're super interesting though. But uh, the lab wasn't taking any more RAs that semester because Taylor had been in on the lab and Taylor, they're like, we're capping it there. <laughs> and so <laughs> I spent once, I spent like one semester in an aging lab, um, which I did not appreciate at the time. It's like this great lab, but I didn't appreciate it at the time. And so as soon as I got into the adoles uh, adolescent transitions lab, I was like, I'm out. Goodbye, aging lab. I don't care about old people super not true, super wrong. And I don't feel that way now, <laughs> but so, yeah. So then I spent uh, two and a half years in that lab, uh, applied to grad school, didn't get in, needed some post-bac experience, um, worked at a lab in Boston. That wasn't a great fit for a few reasons that we can kind of talk about later. <laughs> um, and, but uh, at the end of those two years, I needed a new experience and I felt like I wasn't getting quite what I needed mentorship wise. Um, it was just sort of the structure of the lab. It wasn't a good fit. I probably wasn't the best fit for them. Um, so I let them know I'd be looking for a new job. And then I just cold emailed a bunch of people and that's how I ended up in Illinois. Um, uh, two people were like, no, <laughs> or like we have nothing available. And then um, my PI in Illinois was like, I don't know if we have something, but like, let's talk. And um, from there, it was this great two-year experience. I met a lot of really amazing grad students who were mentors to me. Um, I was really lucky to start out with a great mentor in undergrad. And I think we can talk a little bit about how research experience and mentorship kind of go hand in hand. Um, because like Dustin was talking about, uh, a lot of schools don't have a lot of like PI to undergrad interactions. And so it's really on the grad students or someone to like connect you with research and get you excited about it. And it's something I'm really passionate about now as a grad student. But um, yeah, I again had like really great mentorship when I was in Illinois um, and grad student mentorship. And so now I'm at Cornell again. Um, I no longer want to do clinical. Uh, before I was like, I want to do clinical and I guess I'll do research. And now I do no clinical and all research. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's just kind of crazy. Like I think uh, the research process, like no one really knows what research is. Like you said, Dustin, it's just like, research microscope um as my grandmother said so succinctly to me do you wear a white coat <laughs> do you wear a lab coat <laughs> my parents ask me that all the time <laughs> yeah like not that kind of research <laughs> um but yeah uh I kind of want to hear a little bit about each of your experiences with like was there a person when you were an undergrad who helped connect you with research in a way that 
like that got you hooked um, or not? And like, how did that work? So initially when I was applying to research positions, there wasn't anyone in particular, anyone at all who was like helping me. But once I got into the Yeti lab, which is the clinical lab that I'm still working for now, um, I think like Kate, like you were one of the first people and you were just very like encouraging and supportive. And since you were only like a few years older than me, I think it helped to have like that kind of like peer to peer mentorship rather than it be someone who's like a lot older than you and like a lot more advanced. Like obviously you were more advanced, but just by like a few years. Um, so I think just like an important thing is that you were like always like, you know, like to all the RAs, you were like, you can come to me whenever, like you even had like those office hours and, you know, during lab meetings, like you made sure it was a very comfortable environment. And then once I started like the whole senior thesis process, which started second semester junior year, I was paired with a grad student in the lab, Erin. She's been on this podcast um, and she was a really great mentor in terms of, I guess, more like on the academic writing a research paper side. So I was really lucky to have good mentors, but that wasn't until I was actually in the lab and like, you know, a few months into the lab. So I don't know if anyone else like Lauren or Taylor, if you had experiences earlier in your undergrad career where you had a mentor who helped you get into research. Maybe. So I'm definitely thinking of a few people who have really like shaped my um, time in research and like what I've been able to learn about the field itself. Again, coming from like a, a first gen background, not having a concept for research. Um, there have been quite a few people who have like really um, supported me along the way. In particular, I'm thinking about the first um, graduate student I worked with. Um, something that she, her name is Isha. At, she was really, really wonderful. Um, she would sit in like our lab space, even though she had like another office, like way down the hall on a different floor. So she was really just someone I could go to for if I was feeling uncertain about maybe the things that I was doing for her. Um, and I really just appreciated like having that presence there. Um, and I, I have a memory of one time she was like, you know, if you do, if you want to go to graduate school and want to work on a poster, we can do that. And I didn't know how meaningful that was at the time. So I didn't have a concept for what like a research poster was. Um, but, it, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, it's really it was really um, so valuable that she even you know suggested that we could do that together after working with her for just a few months. I'm also thinking about when I at my first co-op experience again at Boston University, um, I worked closely with quite a few people who have been tremendously just um, supportive people I'm in touch with now. Um, but in particular, one graduate student, Alicia, who, you know, same kind of similar to, to with this other person I was describing, I kind of, I was working on her, a project she was running, like kind of like a massive data, like, you know, many, many undergraduates participating in the study, taking lots and lots of surveys, a lot of data. And, you know, I was kind of asking some questions about it. I was helping her um, collect data and kind of very quickly said, you know, we can work on something together if you want. And so she, uh, we sat down really regularly talking about the research questions themselves. Um, I learned SPSS with her. We would just like talk about things. She told me so much about what it means to be a graduate student that again, I just didn't have a concept for at all. Like I don't, I didn't know the difference between graduate school and undergraduate before I became a college student. And so those are just some of the people that, you know, have helped me so much along the way. Um, including my, my 
one of my thesis advisors, um, Derek Azakowitz, who I currently work with as well, um, you know, like allowing me to, you know, do a thesis and, um, and at Northeastern, that's not, you know, something that many undergraduates do, um, but like him seeing the potential in me to like be able to do that. I am just really valuable for, for that as well. So many people have helped me and I'm really grateful for them. And I always try to give that back to my students now, so. So to echo a lot of what you said, Lauren, um, I had a similar experience where my first research, because I've only had two formal research experiences before grad school. Um, and the first one was in the lab that me and Kate were in together. Um, and our lab was small enough so that the mentor could like work with us hands-on. And we also worked across um, the project she was spearheading for like three years. So I feel like that automatically like helped me learn more about research in general um, and kind of enrich my experience. But then she was also my like faculty advisor, my academic advisor for school. She was my thesis advisor. Um, and she helped me get involved with like writing a poster for the first time and going to my first research conference. I don't know, did I break out or break up? No, okay. Um, and so that which is really enriching to see at a conference, like everyone who's doing research and just like my little undergrad poster being something that people can walk up to and like ask me questions about. So that was really helpful. Um, and then when I started my postback experience for the last well, for four years. Um, our lab was also similar in that it was kind of small enough so that I was getting a lot of support from the PI of the lab. But then I was working with some of the um, graduate students on like their own specific projects. So it was helpful to hear how they were like proposing their own research ideas. So it helped me figure out like, oh, you can come up with a question and like receive this type of support or expect to receive this type of support from the mentor but also like work with the undergrads and like get them involved with work. And so it was helpful for me to start seeing like um, how to start smaller projects from, you know, inception to completion. And um, yeah, I think I worked with a lot of the postdocs as well. who were also like getting prepared to work on their like, um, like interviews and like presentations and hearing feedback from them about how to present was also helpful for me. To answer the first question, which was how did I get involved with research? I think it was like taking a shot in the dark, like Dustin, I'm also um, a first generation student. So I um, had no idea. I think I decided the lab I was gonna work in at the tail end of changing my major from bio to uh, human development anyway. And so I was just like, I think I'm interested in adolescence and this seems like close enough, but I think that Cornell also had like, fewer clinical labs because ours was like the only one that was like developmental psychopathology. And that's why it just seemed like more, it, it just seemed like a better fit for me at that time. Um, and then to comment on what everyone's saying about um, research opportunities, I did code call or code email a lot of people to find the jobs that I did or some of um, the research opportunities I'm a part of. I think like listservs are also like really helpful. Um, Sometimes they just like, for my um, Harvard email now, I just get like a lot of emails about just like postdoc jobs or like faculty jobs or even like postback jobs. Um, so I think those are helpful. And then there's also like some summer research programs um, where you can like sign up and like apply to work at certain universities. Um, and they have like these really big applications and they send your um, 
your um, materials off to them. I didn't get any of those probably because I had no experience at the time, but those are also a way to get some experience. Yeah, I think to add to you, something like you touched on Talia and Taylor and Lauren is mentors at different levels and people who can connect you with different research experiences at different levels. Um, Dustin and I hate, and I assume, not to assume, but I assume you all feel the same way about uh, the business term of like making connections and uh, shoot, now I can't remember the word for it. Um, Networking? Networking. Yeah. (laughs) I hate the word networking because it just seems like it's so opportunistic when these relationships are much more like they've always felt much more like kind of natural, but like they do connect you to different opportunities. But I also think it's so important to like have, like Taylor was a peer mentor to me. I always felt like she had a handle on things better than I did, but also like she helped me to get a handle on things. And so I always like kind of looked up to her and was like in a healthy way. I still do. Um, And then I had you know, my lab manager in undergrad, like just our, our lab, Taylor and my lab manager in undergrad was like this phenomenal, is this phenomenal person who I wanted to emulate when I became a project manager. Um, so I, she made me feel like I could do it. And, and then having like a PI who also invests in you. Um, but I've also, my experience has largely been in small labs. And so I think there's also a little bit of like, sometimes limited mentorship opportunities in larger labs. So I've always, I think, gravitated towards smaller labs. Um, But when you're in those larger labs, then it does become more on like graduate students to help. And I think the whole system is sort of a pay it forward system. Like it made such a difference to me. So of course I was going to do it. Um, You know, I think sometimes that becomes a little disconnected from the PI level. Um, But uh, anything you wanted to add, Dustin? I think it's just like it it's that entrance that I always am fascinated with of like how you enter the research game and and wanting to reduce barriers as much as possible for undergraduates. Um how did you all know like to look for labs? What like what <laughs> because I like I got to senior year and I was like all right what do I do next? And I talked to like a professor and they're like, oh, you need to like be doing research. And I was like, what is that? How do I do that? So how did you know, like, hey, I need to do this thing? I didn't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, again, didn't, I don't know if I really knew what a PhD meant anyway. And that it was a degree where you like get the degree because you did research. You know what I mean? I, I think I yeah. said this in the beginning, just kind of I saw an advertisement on my listserv to like volunteer in a lab and I had the time to do so. And it sounded like a new and exciting experience. And then I had the privilege of like time and being able to volunteer, which is, um, you know, obviously not (laughs) something everyone can do. Um, But yeah, not something I knew was an expectation of me to, and I didn't, again, I didn't really have like a concept that I would end up in this field post-graduation, but someone told me I needed it to do what I wanted to do. So that was my, it feels like, I feel like so many people, it's like they stumble on it. But for me, it was like, oh, I have to do this thing. So I looked into it. Very pre-med of me. <laughs> yeah, I was I was first gen. So I had no idea, like, I'm in college. Great. <laughs> Nobody's telling me what I need to do now. So, okay. Other thoughts on like how to get involved or suggestions for 
for folks listening? It's hard for me to think that far back, even though it was only like three years ago. My mindset was completely different. I didn't go into research because I wanted to do a PhD or I knew I wanted to do clinical stuff. I think I just got into it because I thought it would be interesting and I knew I was I like wanted to like study kids in some way. And I saw that the psychology department had a lot of labs that, you know, had undergrad RAs. And so I basically just applied to, I think, as many as I could. And I had a few interviews and, you know, like I just picked the two that I was most interested in. And they happened to be in like different areas, like social and personality and clinical because I wanted to see like, you know, which one I would like best. And obviously, like I had the privilege of being able to do like two like unpaid lab things during the summer. And I also had a part time job, but I wasn't making like, you know, boatloads of money or anything. Um, But I don't like, I didn't know what I was doing. I think I was just like, you know, eager college student, like gonna try everything in that mindset. Um, I didn't know that it is like expected of you in this field to create opportunities for yourself. And that's doing something like cold emailing is acceptable. (laughs) Like asking for things is acceptable. You can ask for if anyone has a paid position and that's not frowned upon, that doesn't make you look bad. Another thing is I'm thinking of an undergraduate I work with now um, who now just so happens to be affiliated with my lab, but I met her through a mentoring program. So I'm like an alumni mentor to a current undergraduate at Northeastern. And so we talked about together, you know, forming cold emails that she would then send to labs. And now she is working in the same lab that I am, uh, that I, that I work at now. So two things there, one, you have the agency to create opportunities for yourself. And that also isn't addressing the barrier of like time and money that (laughs) exists for many people. And, um, you know, your university may or may not have resources for you to take advantage of to find mentors that maybe happen to to work in research or even if they don't can sort of push you to or give you advice or support you to create those opportunities for yourself. And Twitter, Twitter too. Yes. Yep. I I had a feeling we would talk about it sometime during this podcast, (laughs) but Twitter, I I, I tell all my undergraduates, Twitter is awesome um, for finding opportunities. And then you'll get to a point where other people are sending you opportunities you see on Twitter, but um, that can be another way where you can find paid research opportunities. I like that addition because I do think it's a, like scouting out opportunities for yourself is and like listservs are the other I think like Twitter listservs like cold emailing like the worst the thing I was so worried about is like sounding stupid and then having someone be like blacklisted forever like you are an idiot um but what really happens is they either like see your email or they don't or they like don't respond to your email or they send now there's nothing available or it like starts a conversation and potentially leads to an opportunity. Um, and I think yeah. you're giving too much credit to the the PIs to have like a system in place that would blacklist somebody across like the whole university. Yeah. I've only known one person who's ever been like, oh, like if this person applies to our lab again, like we say no. Um, and that's because of some pretty like, it was a pretty 
clear cut case. And if you're listening to this, not like a, a cold email, <laughs> it was not a cold email. It was, a, it was a personality <laughs> issue that did not mm-hmm. come across an email. So they were interviewed multiple times. Um, so yeah, I think that's like a big part of it. Again, like shout out to research Twitter. I think it's like a good, um, a good entry into the things. Um, you also get to see, I don't know, it always like grounds researchers to me because they're like silly or occasionally they have bad takes or they're human on Twitter. And I'm like, ah, I'm, why am I intimidated by this person? Uh, they're cool. They're down to earth. They are just terrible at jokes. Um, and, but, but I do think the cold emailing thing, um, maybe we can talk about how we ended up at like post backdrops. Cause the first one I, um, there are kind of three ways I can think of. And, um, I think I've almost employed all three of them. So like one is like continue on with where you were in undergrad and your undergrad research experience. If there's a, like a manager, a research assistant position available, that's paid and it should be paid out of undergrad for sure. It should always be paid ideally, but we live in the real world. Um, and we're hopefully going to fix that. Um, (laughs) number two is like, I, when I started applying for jobs out of undergrad, there are a bunch of, and I don't know if you did this too, Taylor. Um, there are a bunch of positions that you can apply through like HR portals. Um, and for the hospital jobs in Boston, I did a lot of that because I kind of was like, Oh, I feel like I could live in Boston. And I picked areas where I wanted to live and then like kind of that was my first filter and then applied to labs where I thought I'd be a good fit from there. And that is a okay potential opportunity. The problem is a lot of those go straight to HR and then HR has to forward them to the lab. And so something I learned later, and this is a hot tip for those of you applying for jobs now, um, is it's better to email the like lab manager directly with your CV and, um, your interests because they might not see your HR stuff, uh, the HR stuff, it gets you, it bumps you up to the front of the line. And then the third way is like what we've all discussed, the cold emailing. And in my mind, that's kind of the best because it worked out the best for me. Um, but, uh, we can include maybe on our website or have like a page, like where we, um, do like, what do you say when you're cold emailing? Don't make it too long. Like you can say, Hey, I'm, I'm Kathleen McCormick. I'm a senior at Cornell University working with so-and-so. I uh, was wondering if you were looking to hire. I think I'd be a great fit because XYZ attached is my CV. Please let me know. Um, Blah, 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 blah. Uh, Maybe dress it up a little bit. Uh, But it's kind of as simple as that. And they're not going to read anything longer. So don't like write them a novel about why you belong in their lab. Uh, But um, that's what I did. And so I uh, would be interested to hear a little bit more about your experience specifically with postback. For me, my experience was similar. Um, I don't think I did any formal HR like applications. I just did the cold emailing. Um, I got advice from a professor at Cornell who said like, go and find all of the researchers you can find on the NIH website and like look to see if they have active grants that are similar to things you're interested in and then email them. So I like took that method and sent like 30 or 40 emails. So that was like the, yeah. Did you tell me about this? I feel like this is a buried memory. Like, did you tell me that you did this? I think I was too afraid. Yes. I think I was too afraid to cold email. 
Um, and I left that position after two years, Taylor stayed in her position for four. So maybe that's, <laughs> um, so I emailed one, I actually got a job offer prior to accepting the one I did go to, um, the fit wasn't good because I guess I was looking for like a more involved research position, but this one just involved me like doing, um, like brain scans. And the person was like, I've been here for three years and I haven't like gained like any formal research experience. So I was a little particular. And then also I had the incentive of being able to come home to Michigan and like potentially work here. That went well for me. Um, so I definitely support code emailing. And then what I advise um, some of the students who I've talked to since then is that you can always email a faculty member like earlier before you need the job, like in the fall or really at any point, just to ask if they anticipate any positions, just because a lot of them have grads or people who prospective graduate students applying in the fall. And so it'd be nice to like keep you in mind in case your application stands out to them. Um, and also just know whether you should be like reaching out um, in the future, but then also make sure to reach out like in the spring. So. I think that last point is really important now as people are submitting grants and maybe not, they currently don't have funding because of COVID, you know, to, to maybe keep that in mind with your, if you're applying right now. Um, so although I ended up working in a lab I already worked in as an undergraduate, I applied to many other jobs. Um, and I just so happened to say to somebody I work with, oh yeah, I consider working here. And then, you know, the, the person I was, um, the person who I ended up replacing, uh, finalized where she was going to graduate school. So it worked out in that way. Cold emailing is something that I did not do, but think it would have been probably effective. But I recommend um, looking at websites with curated lists of active positions that maybe require you to send your materials to an email versus through an HR portal. Um, so I have a, a, a list of ones that I looked at um, pretty frequently and applied to jobs through that I always share with my undergraduates. So that's my recommendation is to look at places, look at websites that curate lists of um, available positions, definitely have more success um, going through the, the, the positions I saw on websites versus HR portals. Yeah, applying to HR portals made me think no one wanted me <laughs> when they probably just didn't see my application or a bunch of other people were getting it. <laughs> I don't have too much to add because I'm like Lauren and Taylor. I was lazy and I did not apply to any jobs um, other than the one I'm in right now just because I went from undergrad RA to project manager just because Kate happened to be leaving for grad school and so um, we needed a new project manager. Excuse me I'm sorry I just need to interrupt okay. here we also recruited you for this position just to be clear. All right yeah. as long as it's not for the Cubs that's fine. Um, yeah, I just got lucky honestly I started meeting with the PI and with Kate too, just to talk about like what the position would entail. And if it's something I would want to do, I think November of my senior year, and then I officially committed January of my senior year, which I think is a little early in terms of post back positions. Um, but I did take like, a few months to think about it and to ask a lot of questions that you might not think of, like, you know, like, 
besides salary, also like, you know, social security and if there are any benefits and having like a job contract and all of that, just because I work for a university environment and it's not like, um, it's not a salary job. It's an hourly position. So it was a little different. So I definitely like, I didn't just accept the position right away, but I weighed the pros and cons and asked a lot of questions, which I think is important to do. Yeah. You bring up a good point that, um, I think Taylor and Lauren also uh, touched on like different aspects of this is the questions you should ask when you're interviewing, because you shouldn't take the first job that's offered to you unless you're sure it's a good fit for you. And, you know, like Talia, credit to you, you asked a lot of questions I didn't think to ask when I took that job. And I was two years out of undergrad and Dustin and I have talked about this, like, and, um, we just didn't know like what to ask. Like we just had no clue. Like I, I had worked like summer jobs, but not like in a sort of structured, structured formal environment. I was like hourly versus salary. Like I was so green and like, I just, you know, so, um, I don't know if you have thoughts on like other questions you should ask. I think those are great questions like retirement, health insurance, yeah. insurance. Like I, that's like a really important question that it just, I hoped and, you know, working for a hospital was a little bit more of a corporate environment. So I got that information, uh, tell you exactly on the money with the like university environment is a little more casual, like we'll figure things out. Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, I was just gonna say, like, I, especially at the beginning of the job, right before I started, I had to kind of initiate a lot with HR, just because it was a very chaotic time with COVID. And I still find myself, like, I guess, having to advocate for myself when it comes to some things, like, you know, sometimes you might not get paid because there's an error, and there's only one HR person. So just like making sure that you're advocating for yourself is really important. And then Related to that, um, Kate actually helped me slash encouraged me to try to negotiate my salary since that is something you can do in a lot of jobs, honestly. So we brainstormed together about how I could do that. And I ended up like attempting to in person, which was like a little awkward, but actually like not as bad as I thought. So just, you know, make sure to advocate for yourself like you are doing. Um meaningful work so make sure that you're getting paid enough also make sure that you can afford to live off of the salary like if I wasn't in Illinois in central Illinois I wouldn't be able to live off of the salary so I'm lucky that you know rent is really cheap and cost of living is cheap here but in another situation you know I might have to live with parents or family or something so just keep in mind that you're, if you're in like clinical post-bac position or psychology post-bac position, you're not going to be making much money at all. So keep that in mind. Yeah. And hopefully that'll change. I think I, I want to talk about like two points, which is the questions you should ask to help increase your chances of getting into graduate school, uh, like publications and blah, blah, blah. But I also think we don't talk enough about what you're just bringing up right now is salary, livability, and like being able to try and negotiate a salary, which is something I didn't do. Or like I did, I didn't do the first time I got an offer over the phone. I immediately accepted it. And I am so embarrassed now. I'm like, I was just like, yeah, sounds good. (laughs) And then I had no idea like 
if that was livable in Boston, I got to pay like increase my second year, which is something I think everyone should advocate for themselves because, you know, cost of living rises, even if it's a small amount everywhere. Um, and then my second job, I tried to negotiate and I did a bad job, uh, <laughs> a really bad job uh, because I just, I was afraid of losing the job offer, even though the person I talked to was like really great and was like, I want to find a way to like figure this out. And that should have given me more power to uh, negotiate. But instead, I think I was, I was too agreeable, which is something I think is probably a trait that a lot of people in certain areas of psychology have. So if this is you um, or grad students in general, maybe because you've already been conned into working for free a bunch of times, um, <laughs> you're like money, any money. Um but it's like negotiate, try it if you can negotiate over email. If you're going to negotiate in person, like practice that. Um, these are questions like you have, a, you have a right to ask. And like, I think sometimes the academic environment makes you feel like you shouldn't ask these questions or that you're being selfish or greedy for wanting to be paid for your work. And um, that's something I struggled with that I had like internalized and I don't know who taught it to me, but I regret that I felt that way. Um, yeah. Like you are valuable in the work that you do, even as like, I, I still experience that. And I think it's something that is is difficult to shake that like we are motivated by the research and by these things. Once we do get invested in these things and then we're like, all right, I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to do good science because that's what motivates us. Um, but we also have to, pay things to live and be a human otherwise and it it it's difficult to see that balance and see like the value that you are adding and being able to provide and um i think it it takes a little bit to just like recognize that within yourself and it's something that i continue to struggle and like even starting as an undergrad and getting involved in labs like you are a huge value to that lab and just make sure that you you're aware of that um, and continue to grow that and know what where your importance is. I think something else that I've internalized, too, is that I have to be just so passionate about the work I'm doing that I have to be able to work in any sort of environment. And I have to not you know, I'm not going to prioritize what I want in a work environment for that reason. Um, and so I think with that said, it is, I highly recommend talking to people who work at the position, asking to talk to people who work at the position and ask questions about the environment itself, ask questions about how they're being mentored. Or, or if you're meeting with the PI, I think you should. I would, I would also encourage you to ask them as well because I think, um, you know, use the interview as a way to, uh, kind of suss out maybe what the, the environment's going to be like. And, you know, if, if something comes up, if there's a red flag there, don't disregard it just because you think, oh, I'll be able to push through. You know, I'm motivated enough by the research itself that this isn't going to matter. If you're recognizing it for a reason, if, if something comes up in the interview. Well, it will matter. It definitely will matter. Yeah, <laughs> it matters. It, uh, I remember I didn't ask this because it didn't even occur to me that like asking how much administrative work you're going to have to do versus research work. I was like, what's administrative work? Like that's part of. And then when I switched and 
I ended up doing a lot more administrative work that was not to help my career. And uh, the one of the people I was working with had a very different idea of like whether administrative work should be expected, like an internship, or um, I think the work that I was doing was pretty dis not satisfying and it got in the way of me being more productive in research. And um, Lauren, you, you like hit the nail on the head. Like it, you should be like, I think research sometimes tries to get away with being like, ah, oh, we're weird. Everyone's really passionate. So like, but like, it's not cool or fun to live in a, like to be in a bad environment. It's not like where like there aren't boundaries or there aren't like realistic expectations that are properly discussed and clarified. Um, and I think that can be a real problem with post-bac uh, positions in some places. And so that's something I think you don't want to forget about while you're asking about how will this give me experience for my CV? Um, Taylor, did you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I was just going to echo a lot of what everyone's been saying, just that we kind of, I think in my situation, I like lucked out at a really good place for my post-bac. Um, but in terms of like the salary thing, um, the university was very strict. So there was no like salary adjustments that could be made. Cause like when I became like the lab manager and was in charge of hiring, it was an issue where it was just like, we need this person to make like a livable wage. And HR was the person saying like, no, we can't do that. Um, and so I guess it's just like really important to at least have the support if nothing can change of like the PI. So in my instance, or in my situation, the PI actually like created a position for me so that I could get a raise when it is that I started to like do more work. But by that point, I was already like indoctrinated into thinking like this is what an RA is supposed to be doing like all this lab manager stuff, but like without the pay increase or like really any title change. And that's just like unfair, but it, it hopefully it does change. I think a good check is to like talk to somebody outside of academia about what's going on. And if they're like, wait, you're doing more work and, and you're still the same, like what's going on that, that needs to, needs to happen. <laughs> so. I was going to say like Dustin's point, I was going to bring up because the only reason I knew to ask all of these questions about insurance, social security, salary, all of that, besides Kate, of course, was because my dad, who like doesn't know anything about academia, but he's like an econ person. He was like, wait, like you're not going to have insurance? Like I've never heard. He's like, and you're working as a research person? Like he was just like very confused. And he was like, okay, you need to ask this. You need to ask this. You need to ask this. So I was lucky that like my dad, I guess, is knowledgeable about that, that stuff because I am not. But if you talk to anyone in other fields, they'll... They'll be surprised, honestly, especially like if they're in business or, you know, not academia in general. Yeah. Two things. I remember you asking me, you're like, oh, what's like, do you have like a retirement account that you pay into? And I was like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. I don't know. Like uh, Talia's going to think of like, I just like, so like, yeah. So that was pretty embarrassing for me. You asked great questions that I wish that I had asked. Um, and so you're right. And like, I could answer the academic questions and the like, how this sets you up potentially for a future career, what skills you'll gain. But like, those, those questions really matter. And I should say um, something <laughs> that um, Taylor and I have talked more about is the constantly heightening bar 
that you have to clear hurdles you have to clear in order to get into graduate school. And so one of the things that you do need to ask, and it's also this challenging thing is, are you going to get a publication out of it? There's an increased desire to get a first author publication out of uh, applicants, which is frankly like very absurd. Um, but um, asking if you'll get a poster at least or authorship and it sucks that you have to like ask these things or like because there's not a, it's not like for certain and also another kind of piece of advice which isn't necessarily like about the post job market is like if you did an undergraduate thesis that's something you can turn into a first author publication it takes a lot of work I did not do it because I was um, I thought my thesis was garbage um but like probably probably would have been fine. Um, like, for example, I've read, like, Talia's thesis is something she could turn into a first author publication if she so chose. Um, but uh, that's a good way to um, kind of get through, and you don't have to have it submitted, but um, it's something you can kind of work on. Um, but that's something you should ask about, and it's something that unfortunately will, I don't want to say make it or break it, but, like, it is a it is very important for applying to graduate school. Like it is a job and you should be getting something additional out of it as well, yeah. other than money. Like are not paying you enough. It's for you to just get money out of it. <laughs> no, 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 no. They're barely paying money. I think some of it's monopoly money. They're just like here, they reach into their pocket or like here, this is what you get. Uh, it, it's it's ridiculous. And it, it's one of those things I think also that you can use the year to also get uh, an idea of what other areas you could also go into. Like it does, this doesn't have to be a stepping stone to just going into a PhD graduate program. Like there's other things that can happen too. You don't have to go into research. <laughs> uh, so I want to kind of ask, two more questions before we end up, which is, um, well, I forgot the second one, but the first one is like, what's something that you wish you like had known before you got into research or before you got and started into research? We've touched on like how little we knew uh, <laughs> collectively, but is there one kind of thing that you would advise someone who is just listening to this podcast and is like, you know, research sounds really cool. Or is someone who's like, I think I want to get a post-bac job advocate for yourself and create opportunities for yourself. Even if they don't work out, I was talking about, you know, I was working on analyzing data with a graduate student at one of my earlier research experiences. Nothing came of that, you know, no poster or anything, but I learned how to use statistical software and I gained someone who provided me with a lot of insight and advice on what it means to be a graduate student just by, you know, asking questions. And even at that time, I didn't necessarily think I was, you know, advocating for myself, creating an opportunity for myself. But um, regardless, I think, um, don't feel any shame in doing it. It is normal, it is accepted. And I think it's um, looked highly, you're looked at highly for doing so. Um, so I didn't know that at the time. And I always encourage my undergrads to do that now. 
my piece of advice is that you will definitely hear the word rejected more than you hear accepted. And I guess you kind of have to understand that that's just like a nature of the game. Um, I took my first post-bac position after I was rejected from grad school um, my first time. And then I took the job and I was rejected a second time. And then it took a third application cycle for me to finally be like in a competitive enough application. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's just really important just to kind of stick with it and persevere, I guess, until you determine for yourself that this is really not the field for me, which is fine. But until then, it's just okay to be told you're not like accepted for these opportunities. Yeah, so I think I have three things. Um, the first is that it's super helpful to have a support system with peers who are at the same stage as you. For example, like Lauren and I, who like happened to meet one summer working for Mass General Hospital, and we've like continued this friendship, but we also support each other in work-related things just because we're at the same stage. So I think if you can have that with someone, maybe like an, another RA in your lab or just someone you meet doing some sort of experience, that's super helpful just to vent because there will be a lot of like frustrating things that happen. And like, I love my other friends, but like none of them are in like, or most of them aren't in like psych research academia, so they wouldn't understand. But like Lauren gets it. Um, and I understand like some of her frustration frustrations as well. Um, my second thing, it's normal to feel imposter syndrome. And I'm sure as a grad student, like you guys feel that too. Um, but when I was in the Yeti lab, like I definitely felt that because all of the grad students are like extremely smart and well-spoken and, you know, are so great at research and everything. So I still feel that all the time, but it's super normal to feel that way. It just means like you're self-aware and you know that you have a lot to learn. And, you know, just trust the process and realize that it took years of experience for the grad students or like six year grad students to get to where they are now. And even them are like feeling that imposter syndrome, even though they're so experienced. So it's not necessarily something that goes away, even if you are like smarter. Um, and then third is that I wish I had more stats experience in undergrad. I can't speak for other universities, but at least for U of I, we didn't have any classes in R, at least when I was a student. I think there are now, but we had like one class where they kind of taught you SPSS, but not really. And I just wish that was incorporated more in classes or that I took more of an initiative to learn those softwares. Um, but yeah, those are my three things. I felt so stupid the first couple meetings I went uh, to the Yeti lab. I was like, I am so far out of my depth. I think it's like the thing everyone does the first their first lab meetings. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Everyone else here is a genius. And they've let me and I and incompetent have fooled them all into thinking I belong here. <laughs> Dustin, anything? To, what would you advise yourself? Get into research earlier. I think, yeah, asking those questions, it's okay to ask questions. And that's that's the only way you're going to find things out. Ask questions to graduate students, to your professors, see who else you can talk to. Like, that is okay. Uh, it's, I still find it super uncomfortable to, to talk and ask questions. Uh, 
hence why we have this podcast and we could just talk to each other and then eventually people listen to it. That's why um, I lead the questioning for this. Yeah. Yes. And I think, yeah, getting research experience, getting stats experience. I think that if, if I had known, like I might have taken a different route if, if I had known more about like the things that I'm doing now, just that I could have gotten here quicker in doing these, these types of things. And so it's okay to ask questions and look at alternate careers. And it, it is not a reflection on you as, as thinking that like you failed somehow because you didn't go into this one area. Like that is totally okay. And yeah, stats is always, can always be helpful. I think that's something that a lot of people would agree with. Yeah. I used to be so afraid of like getting rejected um, until it happened to me so much. Not romantically, I should say. Um, I, I once said in front of, I'm sorry, I should. <laughs> we get it, Kate. You have relationships. I, did, I should say, yeah, I once said in front of that uh, our PI in Illinois, I was like, I'm used to getting rejected. And then afterwards I was like, I don't mean like I was like I was like oh no what if he thinks like I'm a loser who always gets romantically rejected <laughs> and I was like he probably didn't take it that way uh I was gonna say why don't instead of future directions we can all bring up one embarrassing moment in our romantic history but let's not do that because I thought you were gonna say instead of future directions say future rejections future rejections and I was oh. like that that makes way more sense and then and then and I then went you, there. Oh, well, future, future rejections. Like I've applied for NSF and I'm probably not going to get it, but I'm excited to apply. And uh, now let's do future directions. I don't want to shame anyone. Um, I don't want anyone to have to reflect on their romantic rejections. That's a different flavor of rejection. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So you can choose dealer's choice. So I'll, I'll bring up one more. I was on a date with someone once and I, it's embarrassing for him, not for me. And I had to go, um, because I was having a bad time and he was really nice. <laughs> but my sister used to like call me a bunch of times in a row. She wanted to talk to me. She wouldn't just call me once and I didn't pick up. She'd call me 10 times. And so the one time this came in like handy for me was I was on this date and then it was like seven calls for Megan. And so I was like, oh no, like this is so weird. My sister just called me like seven times. Um, and I like showed him my phone and I was like, I, I, I should like head back to like, see what's up. And then he was like, I'll walk you halfway there. <laughs> and then, uh, he was dropping me off at the tea and he was like, I had a great time. Can I take you out again? Cause he asked me in person and couldn't say no. I was like, okay. And then he tried, he went to kiss me on the cheek, but like my hair was falling. And so he got a mouthful of my hair. <laughs> And it was awful. So happy Valentine's Day. I'm glad I haven't had one of those moments in a long time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Who wants to go next? What about a future direction? I uh, said I said you could choose either. I was, oh, I thought we were going to do both. future direction is in the then... future I'm going to be rejected by NSF. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess that works. Dustin? I you married your high school sweetheart you had no rejection yeah. yeah I did we started dating in high school so um future rejections probably getting rejected from some uh 
some internship sites. We'll see. I already got rejected from all the other ones that I applied to. So going into the second round, we'll see how that, that works. That's fun. Um, yeah, it sucks. I forgot I wasn't on mute. And so I was making faces as if I couldn't make any noise. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's all part of the process. Rejections. Yeah. Rejections and then spending a bunch of money that you don't have. Imagine it's, it's if great. you had to spend a, like a hundred dollars on a date on a rejection for a date. <laughs> At least you get like food and like something. Good point. They should give Here. you. They should send you a box of chocolates with a rejection and a bottle of wine. That'd be or a nice. Yeah. Beer, whatever your choice is. Yeah, you have. That's what you have to specify in your application. Yeah. All right, Talia. You said you had a good one. Yeah, so I don't know if this is necessarily a rejection, but just, like, a very, like, embarrassing dating story. But I was on a first date with this kid, and we were, like, sitting outside at this bar area. And I didn't realize until halfway into the date that sitting right next to us was my ex and his friend. (laughs) And he saw me (laughs) the whole time, and he left before, like, my date and I left. And he was like, oh, like, hey, Talia, like, how's it going? And I like oh my god and it was just like so cringy I don't know why but yeah that's actually like probably one of my best stories but I can't tell the other ones on here (laughs) Lauren knows (laughs) (laughs) okay we'll talk about we can we can discuss at a later date a potential not recording date um but also I love that because it'll just throw you off your first date, like game, like you have your stories, you have your first date voice, you're kind, you're not super crazy. Um, I'm not saying you're not super crazy, Talia, but if I, that, that is not ideal. (laughs) I thought it was pretty funny. And then my ex like texted me after and he was like, Hey, like, how was your date? Like, you look so good. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Well, that's a a plus. Lauren Taylor. Um, I have a story that takes things up a bit, like a notch from Talia's story. So I um, I had a boyfriend and we were on a break. Shout out to Ross from Friends. But I was actually starting to like date someone else. And so it was like me, my little sister and the guy, we were just like walking down the street. And then all of a sudden it started raining really hard. And my ex at the time came over to my house and he like gave the boyfriend or the guy I was dating me and my sister a ride to drop the boy off at his house because he didn't have a car. So it was like the most awkward car ride ever going like 10 minutes to his house. <laughs> <laughs> my future direction for 2021 is that I'm emotionally unavailable. I watched this YouTube video that changed my life. I sent to Lauren about how like, I'm just not, like, ever looking for anyone, like, at least in 2021. So I, like, deleted all the apps, like, just focusing on myself because I don't want any more fun rejection stories. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Take a break from dating. This is a very, (laughs) this is a very uh, pro-professional anti-relationship podcast. I'm all for relationships. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, Lauren, anything to add about a future direction or romantic rejection? So I, my lab did a like 
holiday new year celebration book swap and this book was included I didn't end up receiving it but I ended up getting it for myself or I got it as a gift mind fixers psychiatry's troubled search for the biology of mental illness and Harrington a few pages in but it's neat history of science in the beginning and now I didn't know that uh only psychiatrists used to do uh psychoanalysis because people thought that they were the only ones capable of doing it. That was a neat fact that I learned. I guess I just hadn't really thought of that um, back in back in the day. Um, so yeah, I'm learning quite a bit though. I'm only a few pages in so far. That sounds so good. I love history of psychology, history of psychiatry um, lab. I should say like one more thing related to postdoc um, or post-bac positions um, is I didn't know that you could be a psychologist in a psychiatry department. And so my dad was actually, uh, my dad works at a university in a medical center and he once offered for uh, me to talk to some of his colleagues who were in a psychiatry department. And I was like, no freaking way. Like I do not want to be a psychiatrist, (laughs) which is not, it's just because I don't want to go into medicine. Um, And then later I learned there, my dad was like, they're psychologists, but I didn't believe him. I thought he was wrong. I thought he just didn't know because <laughs> I was a snot. Um, but yeah, if people offer to have you connect with other people, <laughs> take them up on it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all so much for sharing your experiences. I really appreciate you all joining us and um, thank you for your insights. And yeah, hopefully we'll have you on for some updates. Uh, maybe if you, you know, our post-backs want to join us next year as they're figuring out their next steps. That would be great. And Taylor, I want to hear about your next uh, year of grad school as we go through. I'm just thrilled that Taylor and I have been both rejected the same amount of time so we could end up continuing on the same path. So thank you. Thank you. The You Can Grad Door is on a vacation.